Welcome to Troubadours on Trek. This is your captain speaking, Grace Pettis. I'm a big star Trek fan. I'm also a working musician and a songwriter, but enough about me. Every month I review an episode of Star Trek with another musician. I share an episode of the greatest science fiction television series of all time with them, and in return they share their road stories and songs with us. Engage. Well, my guest today, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, my very own brother, Mr. George Christian Pettis, um, the first Esquire. First of his name. First of his name. Um, Son of Meg. (laughs) (laughs) Son of Pierce. Um, He's a singer. He's a songwriter. He skateboards. He's a lover. He's a fighter. He's got amazing genes. He knows when Um, to hold them. He knows when to fold them. And uh, he's get he gets his dashing good looks from me, obviously. That's, and uh, that's weird. Well, <laughs> make any sense when it's weird. That's how good looking I am. Um, wow. Also, he's been in a few bands you may have heard of: Wowser Bowser, Hundred Watt Horse, um, some others that I'm forgetting. And uh, he's also put out some records as George Christian Pettis, just his full name there. And uh, he's done some touring with our brother Rayvon, a bunch of other folks. Um, and uh, he's currently studying and teaching ethnomusicology at Florida State University. So, yeah. Did I miss anything? Uh, nope. That about sums it up. That <laughs> sums it up. Cool, cool. Well, how's yeah. the uh, ethnomusicology stuff coming? Uh, it's going good. Uh, as good as can be expected. It's funny when you get into like, studying music you just stop playing music so (laughs) i'm basically just reading about other people playing music and uh but that's you know it's fine i mean it's all online right now i'm not i'm not even in tallahassee so that's kind of weird but are you still in nashville yeah when do you move uh october that's right i forgot yeah cool cool i'm clearly an expert in my own brother (laughs) (laughs) yeah well, uh, I have some hard-hitting like journalism questions. Lay, queued up lay here. them on me. All right. Will you admit right now on the record that mom and dad love me better? Mm, yeah. Well, dad definitely. <laughs> mom probably. That was <laughs> that was a joke. They obviously loved you best. You're the youngest. You were the cute one. Well, that's your perspective. As a <laughs> I guess you would know. Fantastic. Um. Have you been writing a lot of songs? Um, I don't know what a lot means anymore. You know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've been writing some stuff. I've got, I've got a, another record in the works, but it's sort of on indefinite delay for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've been writing. I something that's kind of funny that's happened is I think in general I tend to write kind of bummer songs, um, but you know, here in the midst of the ultimate bummer on all fronts you know, between <laughs> racial inequality and a pandemic, I find myself writing a bunch of just like really happy little songs. <laughs> but I don't really, I was, I don't know what that says about me, but. Um, I don't know, but I, I like it. Um, although I have written a lot of my like saddest songs when I was really happy. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, weird. same. I write uh, when, you know, I'm, as you know, this is some personal informa- information about me. 
I'm in a very happy and generally functional relationship. And mm-hmm. right when that sort of started, you know, it's some of the happiest I've ever been, right? I've found my person. I'm I'm comfortable and happy. And I wrote just the most depressing song <laughs> typically about like a failing relationship or like someone breaking up. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, to play those songs live and have your partner who is, you know, kind of giving you a little bit of a side eye as you're like delivering these really heart-wrenching <laughs> lyrics about like, how do I get my baby back? <laughs> I'll know? always be lonely. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. What's for dinner? <laughs> yeah. And it gets um, even more complicated because at one point I name dropped her specifically. I'll keep her, I'll keep her anonymous <laughs> in a song that really had not that much to do with her or, or in a moment of a song <laughs> where I said something or like she did something that she doesn't do. Um, it's very smooth. How did How did she react to that? Uh, as you can imagine, not well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yet, somehow, you're still in that functional relationship. It's great. You're an yeah. inspiration to us all. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, what have you guys been uh, been watching during the pandemic? Like, what do you? What's your TV binge? Go to. Well, she uh, f- her birthday was just uh, recently. That's a, a sentence. <laughs> Sorry, I've been drinking sparkling water, so I got burps. Um, mm-hmm. Perfect she, for podcasting. Right, exactly. <laughs> Leave it in. <laughs> it's authentic. Um, she uh, just had a birthday, and she got the complete DVD box set of Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> oh, man. I, I binged that like back when it was on Netflix. You know? I know. Well, then- that's the thing is they only had the first five seasons on. So oh. there are seven seasons that what? were not on my <laughs> What? So she just pretty much watches that all day, every day. But she, she, as you know, is, and I guess we can get into this later, but she is the Trekkie, you know? So oh, she, yeah. You tend to have talk about Star Trek all the time, anytime. Right, so. right. Yeah, no, she, she's pretty, pretty regularly has, you know, Voyager and Deep Space Nine and Next Generation on, and I tune kind of in and out, um. But fantastic i've been watching a lot of basketball playoffs are happening and yeah i guess that's been sort of like interrupted by like a lot of these protests that the players are doing which is pretty cool it was briefly interrupted uh they protested a, there was a day of games that didn't happen and then they mm. sort of came back from that protest and played a couple days later and there was a lot of confusion i think from people but i think it's fair to say that we have no idea what's going on behind closed doors and it's possible that they started that protest with a specific set of demands and then the NBA maybe met those demands and mm-hmm, then they started playing mm-hmm. again. I mean, it's, I, we just don't know at all. So there's right. some unfair criticism of those players and I think that's ridiculous. I think they're doing yeah, really no, that's important crazy. brave work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the WNBA as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh, yeah. And and the WNBA players, it must be said, taking a much larger financial hit from protesting, right? I mean... Yeah. Um, and they have sort of less insulation you know, and, the male players. Yeah, I don't but. know much about their players union, but I know like the NBA, for example, has just like a super strong players union. So yeah, that well, I think supports it's, the players in protesting a little bit, but the WNBA. Well, it's also know, just kind of about like audience size, you know? Sure, sure. So it's just, it's the same with musicians. It's like if you have a massive fan base, you have a little more protection when you speak your mind. A um, little more risk of like a bigger fall, but um, also like you can bounce back more easily because you have so many fans and so much support, you know? Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, the protesting has come from surprising places. And recently, like um, Jim Gaffigan 
protesting. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter and stuff. I and thought that yeah, was, was great because he he seemed to me to be almost like sort of a Jeff Foxworthy type in how just completely apolitical he was as like right. a, as a career move, like right. trying to appeal to the widest middle 60 percent of american culture both republican and democrat and yeah like he he is middle america right right yeah he's so that was that was cool to see i mean it was very cool to see and i love what he tweeted where he was like for those of you worried that like getting too political is going to affect your career like we're not we don't have careers right now like we're not (laughs) like and we're not gonna have careers unless we get a handle on this pandemic and this racial you know injustice and you know none of that matters right. <laughs> if we don't fix this stuff like right yeah it's just it's just such a good point like this is not a time to like be worried about <laughs> how many people are going to show up to your live show right or so. alternately this is the perfect time to <laughs> worry instead exactly. about what you're saying and how you're you know right what side you're on. right yeah what do you have to lose right now um but anyway yeah i i, I thought that was pretty cool too well, anywho, we're slowly um, working our way towards the the utopian Star Trek future. We are, we are, we are. That was a great um, segue. I, I enjoyed be that. This damn you should be hosting this damn podcast. <laughs> but I, I riddle me this, George. No okay. one in the twenty fourth, twenty third centuries is playing banjos. Mm, true. Well, not so, that many people in the twenty first century are playing banjos. <laughs> Well, what's your what's your comment so that on tracks. that? Do you think that, that the banjo is going to, you know, die out? I'm sure that at some point we will discover a planet of of banjo, of sentient banjos. <laughs> where the banjos have been left to evolve mm-hmm. without, you know. And they're yeah. playing they're playing little humans, I'm sure. <laughs> I like it. Um, when did you pick up the banjo? Um after I picked up the guitar, so probably, you know, around 14 or so, mm-hmm. uh, Bobby, our grandmother, uh, rest in peace, rest in power, gave me my first banjo, which I still have, and I'm looking at it right now. I love that. Yeah, I was going to mention Bobby. Um, did she, like, so were you playing? I guess you were playing before she passed away. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I was... I was not as disciplined about it as I've been recently. And honestly, I've only been disciplined about it because I've had so much free time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, being quarantined. Um, I've been starting to kind of watch YouTube videos and try to work on my, my claw hammer technique and all that. But before I kind of picked it up and messed around on it in the way that I did, you know, played any instrument that I picked up just, which is kind of, I would play it until I felt like I was comfortable enough to write with it mm-hmm. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. i would write a couple songs on it like on the very first hundred horse ep which we shall not mention again um <laughs> why not there is a banjo song technically on it but it's not it's not a bad ep the, the style of banjo is not anything like how you're supposed to play ban- you know what i mean like it's it's very much like a guitar player playing a banjo but mm-hmm. not that that's on you i mean you know like sufjan stevens i feel like plays Sufjan style banjo and not necessarily any of the kind of traditions of banjo, you know? Yeah. I think what's so cool about the banjo is like, it's, you know, it's this African instrument and then it's like co-opted by like rednecks and hillbillies and stuff. (laughs) And it's just, to me, it's like the, the quintessential like American instrument. Like it's just, everybody's kind of made it their own. 
but it's <laughs> it's quintessentially American in the sense that it was stolen from black people. Yes, that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I it mean, also feels like it's core to like a lot of different. Well, you know, and it, you music. know, I was reading about the banjo in like an Irish context. I was doing some research on that, and it's really funny because it's not a traditional Irish instrument in any mm-hmm. stretch of the imagination. It's an African instrument, just mm-hmm. like it's not really a traditional American instrument or whatever. I mean, it's an African instrument, right? in mm-hmm. its origin but at some point in like well, nothing f- i mean by that token nothing that is american is really american unless you're native american yeah but, exactly yeah. yes yeah well said but you know so <laughs> the at around like i think like the 30s or 40s a couple like parlor banjos made it to ireland and now flash forward to current day you'll have these like really hardcore trad musicians who will do things like well we can't play that tune that's not a traditional tune but they have a banjo in the yeah. session and it's like <laughs> what are y'all doing like that yeah you know so no, it's just those lines know. are so kind of arbitrary. And it, it's very funny, too, I think, because my my interpretation of the old time community in, in the U.S. is also being very kind of xenophobic and really, yeah. you know, strictly not obviously everybody. But there's a lot of people in that and who appreciate that kind of music who will only play the songs off of the like original recordings that they have and like mm-hmm. will not deviate from how they're sung or played yeah, or whatever. Purist. Yeah. yeah, and it's like at no point was any of this fixed. There's no right. authentic moment for this. It's all changing yeah. really rapidly. I mean, that's the nature of folk music. So Yeah. Well, everything that we just kind of like glaze and like set in marble and put on a shelf, like was at one point just popular folk music, you know? Right. And I mean, so. you brought up Native American music and tradition. I mean, that's a huge his- uh, issue with like a lot of the history of anthropology of native American culture is that folks wanted to kind of, you know, put it in marble. And as you said, put it on a, in a museum in a glass case as if it's not continually changing and evolving like a living and, history. Yeah. Yeah. Ethnomusicology has really struggled with this, right? How do you repatriate the songs that you collected a hundred years ago mm. in a way that you help provide resources for people who, are members of that culture to reclaim their music. And then also that means change their music, right? Right. However, they they see fit because it's their culture. Right. Yeah. And that doesn't always fit with this narrative of like, we got to preserve the music. It's dying. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of that is just kind of a a futile attempt to kind of, you know, live in this nostalgia. And yeah. Put a pin in the butterfly kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When it's still alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, well, and I think about the banjo, I think about Bobby, obviously, and how, you know, she picked it up when she was in her 80s, oh, you know, yeah. like she went her whole life without playing banjo. And then just after granddad died, she was like, I'm gonna learn the banjo. Yeah, and picked it up. And uh, it's pretty cool. So it makes you wonder what granddad's stance on the banjo was. I wonder if he was like, no banjos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, possibly. Um, yeah. Yeah, very, very likely. Yeah, that sounds like Grant. <laughs> I think too, Grant. You know, our grandfather grew up on a farm in Missouri, but died yeah. a you know a learned professor. And mm-hmm. I think I could totally imagine him seeing a banjo and getting some some trigger triggered, <laughs> triggered from his his childhood milking cows at totally. four in the morning or whatever, and saying, "Hell no, get that, <laughs> get out, that of here. out of get my that house." Out of my house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm never going back to Missouri. <laughs> I'm not going back to Missouri. Missouri, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, well, you want to talk about some Star Trek? Let's do it. All right. What did you think of Where No Man Has Gone Before, Episode 3? 
Yeah, it was uh, it was okay. <laughs> cool. I mean, so we should probably say that I'm not a Trekkie. Yeah. yeah, like let's talk first about your experience with Star Trek. Let's let's give our audience some context. Okay, well, our our shared experience with Star Trek, I think, is mom mm-hmm. and and her partner watching Star Trek after we went to bed. Yep, sort next of. generation. Yeah, and. It, I think it says a lot that on the few occasions where I was able to sneak down there and convince them to let me like join, mm-hmm. I would leave. Like, you know, <laughs> like this is how, you know, like first some more context. We were had a very strict TV policy and we. Yeah, no watch. TV house because our mom and our grandfather were both English professors. They were right. big believers in books. So we were right, so book, the yes, only TV like TV, and mom no. only had the TV because she started dating Rick. And, and they and I, as far as Rick, I can tell, like, they only had it to on, watch Next Generation. Yeah, Rick just insisted on a television so that they could watch Star Trek. And, right. And but mom and mom agreed, but she put it in the basement. Right. And, Hit it in the basement, <laughs> and we weren't allowed to really watch it. And yeah. we, you know, maybe some PBS stuff, but even then, I mean, yeah. So I, I think that does a lot PBS. about how my like I don't. We boring. didn't watch Sesame Street. We didn't watch any of that. No. No. Not in the house, no. But yes, I think that says a lot about how mind-numbingly boring I found Star Trek that. As a kid, being able to watch anything on TV, a commercial, was like so exciting, right? (laughs) But I would watch them and they would just be talking and talking and talking. (laughs) Nothing would happen, you know? And uh, yeah, so I I think I, I grouped Star Trek in with like a Prairie Home Companion, in the in the list of things that that for whatever reason my parents seem to just love health and I, food yeah I could not yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly um plain yogurt you know <laughs> like things that just, what how plain in the yogurt. hell could you be so boring as to enjoy this thing <laughs> which is so funny because it's it's such a fun exciting show like as an adult but I think I I know what you mean I think like as a kid you know, they watched a little bit of Next Gen. They watched like, well, they watched a lot of Next Gen. They watched a little bit of like DS9 and Voyager mm-hmm. too. Yeah, and, they watched um, Voyager because it would have been on at that point. Yeah, yeah. Like when Next Generation ended, mm-hmm. Voyager and um, Deep Space then then Deep Space Nine came on. Um, but like, I think I think like glimpses of like Ferengi and stuff like that, which are you probably don't even know what that is, but they're you know, I got the big ears. The big ears. Yes, exactly. Like, I think stuff like that, I was like, ooh, what is this? But for no, the so most for part... For me, I was like, this is so cheesy. Even I, well, I think even as a kid, I I was like, come on, costume. <laughs> come I on, think, makeup department. <laughs> I think I, I was, like, intrigued by it as a kid, but I don't think I, like, got it. You know what I mean? I think it... I really didn't get it until I was, like, in college. But, um, yeah. yeah. But anyway, but that's interesting. So did you ever like go back and watch Next Generation? Did you ever go back and watch like the original series? Not uh, of my own volition, but I think there were a couple times where my partner, I guess I'll just say her name, Sarah, that's fine. She, um, <laughs> she would, you know, we would watch a couple, we tried to get into Next Generation and the first couple episodes were a little rough. And, well, uh, that first Farpoint episode is super. Wesley it, is just so damn annoying. But Wesley anyway, is very annoying. But um, it no, finds I mean, its thing. It does. Like if you give it time. No, I, the one time, I guess we can talk about this now, but the one time that I remember enjoying Star Trek before very recently there've been because you know there've been a couple episodes that sarah will have on and i'll kind of watch and i'll be like oh that's kind of fun because sarah loves it right but um was when i took shrooms with a friend who shall go in and we (laughs) 
you know, had this kind of day of like just tripping and walking around and unsuccessfully trying to get into something interesting. And eventually we're just like <laughs> bored and went back still tripping and watched an episode of Star Trek. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, wow, these effects are amazing. <laughs> and this is the original series, you know? And yeah. it's like, you know, like after effects of like pew, pew, little lasers and things. And I'm just like, whoa, alien planets. Like it was like I was watching Interstellar or something, you know? Well, and like, I, think, I think, you know, maybe this is part of like why I get so into it, but like I love storytelling and I love kind of like using my imagination. And um, Sure, sure. Like when I was a kid, I think just maybe because of the juvenile arthritis and stuff and just being such an indoors kid, mm-hmm. um, I had a very active imagination and like, I never kind of needed, you know, explosions and effects and stuff like that. Like, I think I, my, my brain just is really good at filling in the blanks. Mm. And, um, I like kind of open-ended questions about like the nature of humanity and, you know, philosophy and all this stuff. And I don't need for like, you know, like I don't need for the episode to totally like, answer all those questions is enough that they just ask it um yeah sure so like for me i guess that that's what like mainly the appeal is and i also like you know the characters and like how they interact and all of that and and you know but you gotta also think that like back in the 60s when this was on tv the original series like number one the tv sets weren't like they are now right. you know what i mean they weren't high definition like you couldn't see every zipper on every you know costume but um, also, like, this was the height of what Hollywood could do, you know, right. and it was so this, you know, we, we're, we're so kind of used to like a different level of production now that it's sort of hard to like, put well, yourself there. But yeah, and that's something I wrote down. Actually, one of the first questions is, did they redo the animations, which I, I didn't know. And then I looked it up. And yes, they did. But I, yeah. I was able to find a video where they kind of had a side-by-side comparison of the original animation for this mm-hmm. episode specifically. And I actually thought that the model of the ship but specific, was better. I mean, I thought, you know, it looked kind of for that reason. It matched the rest of the, mm-hmm. the settings. Mm-hmm. And it actually kind of took me out of it a little bit when I had saw this like CGI spaceship. That almost reminded me more that I was watching a show than mm-hmm. like the model would have because I'm already suspending my disbelief, right? So then right. I get so, but then right, you know, next to these kind of obviously fake things, sets and costumes and stuff, and then suddenly it's like this hyper realist. Well, it's not hyper realistic. It was redone yeah. probably like the <laughs> '90s or whatever. But it's like you know CGI, and actually the planet in particular that they visit mm-hmm. in this episode, I really kind of like the more fuzzy, grainy original um, animation that they did of it because mm-hmm. to me it's kind of like. Yeah, you're like looking at it through glass, through space, like you know. It's but and so the when they redid it, it's like crystal clear, and you can see mm-hmm. all the storm systems on the surface of the planet and all that. And it was just like, I don't know. I it was an interesting yeah, choice that's a good that point. they made. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, they they so basically yeah, like the the if, for those of you listening, like if you watch Star Trek on Netflix, and I think in some of the other places you can watch it, like Amazon Prime and Hulu and stuff like that. They um with the original series, it's like a remastered version that they're showing you where they, they went in and, uh, they pulled a George Lucas. Yeah. They pulled a George Lucas and it's pretty subtle. Like they just do it for like the planets, the ships and like really like, I don't know, any kind of laser looking effects, you know, things Uh like that. But you know, that's, that's mostly what they changed. They didn't really change anything else. Um, but yeah, I, I do see your point and it, (laughs) it 
is interesting. Like, I wonder, I, and that's been like the only Star Trek that I have really watched. Like, I haven't watched it minus the effects, you know? It's, so it's, it's kind of a weird, like, display of like ego on the part of the animators in a way because it's and i thought i feel like this about star wars it's like almost impossible i mean not to gush so sorry blasphemy bringing up the other one (laughs) on this podcast but you know it's like you those movies were like incredibly popular right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the show was incredibly popular Mm -hmm. so to like look at this thing and say if we just play the thing that people loved they're not going to like it because this planet looks fake. It's well, like, I think it was done with love. Like, I think it was definitely like a fan, you know, like thing. It was somebody who deeply loved the series and was like, now we have this technology. We can actually show the Enterprise like flying through space. Let's well, do see, that. You I know? don't know. I, well, even that, it's like, I don't know. It's like, I think part of it's like, you know, it costs so much money to go back and do this. I've, if they probably felt like they could have left it, I think they probably would have, don't you? I mean. No, I, I really think it was a labor of love. I really think it was like, you know, especially, and you got to think about like the fans of Star Trek. Like they love the kind of tech stuff. They love the ships. They love the, all this stuff. And it's like. Yeah, You know, we have all the new ships on Next Generation and Juice and everything, you know, in CGI. And it's it's cool. Like, that's a that's a part of it that, like, appeals, I think, to the I fan see. base so in a big way. They're linking the old ones with yeah. the spirit of the new So it's like, so. yeah, and it's being able to see, like, I mean, it's just kind of thrilling to see the Enterprise, you know, like, flying through space, I guess. I'm thinking more in terms of, like, you know, when, when they do, like, a digital remaster of an album... Mm-hmm. It's like they're literally making pretty significant creative choices, which change the original. So, like, well, they mostly the just thing, compress not, the hell out of it. Like, when well, they exactly. But I mean, that. sometimes, sometimes, literally, even you know, they will in compressing it. Like, for example, a, a kick drum or a bass or something in the bottom, in the it's low just end, will just disappear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. But, but I mean, like in the context of the them remastering this episode, you know, there were certain shots where they just completely changed the shot like Mm -hmm. there was one Mm -hmm. in particular when they're going through the sound the energy field right Mm -hmm. and in the original shot the ship just kind of slowly moves forward into you know into this plane the third you know and Mm -hmm. they're they're kind of moving forward and the shot stays pretty static and then in the the remastered the cgi version the ship's like coming from an angle and it's much more angled which totally represents by the way like the advances that we've made in Mm -hmm. cinematography from the 60s to now but but I think that in some ways discredits. The yeah, is original. that insulting to like? Yeah, or you know, it's like it's just it's just yeah. a little. It's like I said, people loved the original thing, so mm-hmm. I would be very very cautious if I was making changes to the original mm-hmm. thing. Like, if you're sure that it's going to make it better to maybe brighten up something digitally, that's very different from like completely changing the way the thing looked. And in fact, I liked the old sound the energy field also mm-hmm. better than the new one well you, you raised some really good points um i definitely now want to go and watch everything like unmastered unremastered or whatever there's a youtube video um, that you can find that's real cool. okay yeah. yeah yeah i'm gonna go look for that that's this is good you raised some good points and speaking of changes one thing that is cool about this episode is that it's technically the pilot um right and even though, so like the first episode on this podcast is The Cage, which I'm calling episode zero, because it was the first pilot that um, 
you know, they ordered for Star Trek, but it was a different, you know, bridge crew. It was like very kind of different from what ended up being, you know, what we think of as Star Trek. And that pilot was not greenlighted. Right. And, um, and this is, this is kind of cool, but uh, Lucille Ball, as in I Love Lucy, is the reason that Star Trek exists. Oh, you know, I heard this. Yeah. So basically when that pilot flopped, when they didn't like the cage because they thought it was too cerebral, like much like childhood George. <laughs> <laughs> and right. uh, and so Lucille Ball like basically went to bat for Star Trek, even though she didn't really understand what it was at the time. Um, but she, for whatever reason, like threw her weight behind it. And Desilu basically talked NBC into ordering a second pilot. And according to IMDb, that's the first time in U.S. television history that that happened. That a second so, pilot was ordered. Yeah, was commissioned. Yeah, they, they didn't do that. And like, they, no Shatner in the first one, right? No Shatner in the first one. Totally different um, captain. So, oh. um, yeah, so they made some changes with this episode. And this this was actually the pilot, but it became the third episode of the show. Um, so there's two other episodes that happen first if you're watching it in order on TV. Right. Like this was like the third one that people saw. But right. this was the first one that they made with this crew. We're missing Ahura. Like, I don't know if you noticed that, but there's there's Sulu, there's Kirk. And there's no Bob. no DeForest Kelly. Oh, right. Yeah, McCoy's not in this one either. That's and true. by the way, fun fact, DeForest Kelly graduated from my alma mater, Decatur <laughs> High School. Really? He certainly did. Is that true? That's I didn't true. know that. Yeah. What? Yeah, that's always been kind of the fun fact about you know, you know, everybody and you and I went to different from, high schools, so that's did, probably yeah. why I didn't know but that. But you know what I mean? Everybody has amazing. somebody from their high school. For Fort Payne, it's probably one of the members of Alabama or something. Yeah. Or like a Leuven brother, maybe. But like, Or me. Just or kidding. you. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> or dad. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, for Decatur High School, as far as I can tell, most famous person to graduate was DeForest Kelly. That That is amazing. I'm it's also why I know his that. name. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like um, now that you mention it, I really was missing like the McCoy side of this triangle, you know. With the well, Spock, and it's Kirk such a medical team. heavy episode. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. And you did that kind of like down home folksy, like sarcasm thing because it, yeah. it gets a little too intense. Like there's no, too much for, straight man thing. For and, sure. Yeah. But um, and then what do you think of Spock? Because Spock was pretty different in this episode than he ended up being. Later oh on. really? And what? What? I mean, he seemed pretty Spockish to me. I guess they kind of they joked about him. You know, have there was the, the line about was it irritability? <laughs> Which <laughs> I never considered as an emotion before. Right. <laughs> but they're like, you can be irritated by something. Like, yeah. But it's like Spock surely gets irritated all the time, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, yeah. But I guess like, did they have to make that canon? Then from then on, like, we, okay, we got to make sure nothing ever irritates Spock. Vulcan <laughs> can't be irritated by anything. Well, like in this episode, they're still kind of figuring out his character. Like he smiles in this episode, which oh. he doesn't do ever. Oh, that's a no-no. You huh? know, yeah, like because it's a it's an emotion. He's like feeling joy. Uh-huh. Um. But yeah, they were still kind of figuring out like how emotional is he, how Vulcan is he, how human is he. They were kind of like getting that cocktail right. Well, and, and clearly, uh, and clearly because the, he says one of my ancestors was. Yes, human. one of my ancestors married a human female, which 
you know, we, and we later know like it's his father, Sarek, who marries <laughs> Which, Amanda. So that's yeah, a clever little weird. retcon, right? Because it's still technically one of his ancestors. Yeah, it's technically fine, ancestors. but it's just like a really weird way of saying my mom's a human. Right. My ancestor yeah. uh, played folk <laughs> music and uh, grew, and raised me and was my dad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's super weird. Yeah. They're so they're still kind of working out some of those details for sure. And yeah, there's there's other stuff like that, like. Uh, you know, in the ship, um, you know, they're like at the, in the transporter room, um, Scotty's the one in the transporter room. Like he's not in the, he's not the engineer. He's like the transporter guy. Who and runs he's, like, the transporter normally? Just like ran, well, usually just random transporter or, dudes. Oh, okay. Um, but then sometimes it's like an actual, you know, officer or something like Scotty. Um, and then later on in, in like, in next generation and stuff they had like um chief o'brien you know so um there's different like they sort of like go back and forth on that but um usually scotty's not the one in the transporter room um Uh and then also like there's an alert system where they say um put all decks on the alert instead of red alert you know Uh um it's just kind of like there's just little things like that or screen on is what he says like i mean also the the whole interior of the enterprise looks insane yeah yeah. like studio 51 or something it's very bright and 70s and <laughs> 60s yeah or 60, excuse me yeah yeah no yeah. and they, they, and that's like that's another thing is like the colors in this episode are so much more muted you know yeah then later on and you have everybody's in pants instead of like mini skirts and stuff were the um were their shirts different like yeah they yeah they had like that cow neck like collar you know yeah yeah, totally different. Um, and one of the reasons they switched to like brighter uniforms later on is they wanted to kind of show off the Technicolor that was new at the time. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But so in this one, everybody's much more sort of like, you know, militaristic looking. Huh. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And um, so her is not in this episode. And the network's like the original pilot, there was a female first officer, but they scrapped that. Um, is that who's kind of creepily standing behind him? Like, no, that's, the- that is the like, that's an, just an ensign. Um, so basically like a nobody on the ship, like a low level person. Uh-huh. And uh, it's kind of funny because actually it's funny you mentioned her. That actress, um, apparently Roddenberry like was trying to like get with or whatever at the time. And so he like put her in this episode. Um, but <laughs> like she like, and thinner too. I mean, she, yeah. it, it was to the point where I was like, this is a major plot point. Cause she, she just yeah, looked yeah. crazy. Like, yeah. She's just like, just, why is she here? Um, yeah. She, and her then, impression was like really like devoid of emotion. And she was so <laughs> yeah. like, she was right over his shoulder. I yeah, don't know. Like, weird. Yeah. Like, is she even like, is that a lab protocol? Yeah. Like, can you yeah I'm, I'm not sure what the plot reason was for having her in this episode but um right. she did not in fact hook up with Roddenberry so ah, well, well and done. she did in fact make it into this episode so that's, good for her that's good for her yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that's the line like Jones the name's Smith sir or whatever um yeah we, yeah. yeah what yeah this is very strange but and then speaking of like the women in this episode like oh boy there, there's a lot there about sort of male and female you know stuff in this well, episode with the Gary and Elizabeth Adam and Eve thing. Um, yeah, I mean, Kurt, Kurt and, uh, and, you know, God boy are very much <laughs> like they're acting like fraternity brothers. In fact, yes. to, the, to the point that I was confused about their relationship. Like I thought that they were like in the same grade or something, but then in the Academy, but then later he talks about like, 
which we can get to. It's one of the craziest lines in this whole episode <laughs> that I wrote down. I almost married her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that, you know, they were like, they came up together. No. So I think Kirk was like a few years older and he was like teaching, right, you know, right, teaching okay. a class, kind of like you're teaching at Florida state. Like, right, right. Yeah. yeah. He, was like, he was a graduate assistant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's yeah, like, yeah. and they called him a stack of books with legs, which I'm just kind of like, really? It's like, no one thinks of Kirk. No. Like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he never really got like that kind of character attribution later in the show like this is this is again them sort of like right. figuring out who he is as a character I mean, he's obviously <laughs> right. like a cowboy like but um right 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 but yeah so i guess that was before he discovered girls you know and guns but um okay. yeah he was really into books and um <laughs> and like mitchell says like watch out for lieutenant kirk in his class you either had to think or sink <laughs> so and, and, then, uh, <laughs> and then, but so, okay, so, the, okay, we need to get into this because <laughs> if I was watching correctly and understanding correctly, he, so he set up, or no, sorry, he, he aimed a blonde lab technician. Right, but, but he, he said something like he told her like everything. Like exactly what to do, and there and that yeah, there was I a multi. Her whole that's right, outlined. So there's multiple <laughs> stages and tiers of this plan yeah. beyond just like hook up with him. It's yeah. like go to this special place, make that a thing in your relationship. Return to it later when he proposes to you. <laughs> Also, that he could get like a good grade in this class, like it, <laughs> it's like really messed up. Yeah, that's so insane. Like it's very weird. Yeah, it's- I almost married her. <laughs> also, it's so funny too because it's like that's such a huge part of that would have been. I'm sure they never reference this again. That would have been such a huge part of this of Kirk's like character backstory. Oh, How he like almost like. That's like seriously <laughs> traumatizing. Yeah, no wonder he was like a lazy he man. He doesn't seem that upset. No wonder he didn't want to settle down after that. Like exactly, yeah. like, exactly. Yeah, he's like traumatized. By, yeah. I know. Yeah, but it's, it's so really crazy. Funny. His reaction is like, "Oh, you." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I guess he was just he was trying to distract the professor by. By getting him a big fiance, yeah, it's insane. Like, yeah. like as soon as you learn that, right, in real life, <laughs> like kicking him off the space, like you're ejecting him into space. You're like, I can't be around you. You're a yeah. psychopath. You're like- insane. Yeah. Well, and he's a super jerk. Like whenever she walks into the bridge first, you know, um, and then he's like, calls her a walking freezer unit or something, oh, and I- she's like. A visiting like psychologist. Right. <laughs> like, I, I actually missed that, and then they do a callback later in the episode, and I was like, "Did he just say walking freezer unit?" And, yeah. Or like, or did he just say walking freezer unit? And yeah, I didn't, well, no, I, she I, calls I, him I, out I, on it. Yeah, yeah, she calls him out like later yeah, in six days. First time for some reason. So when it came back up, I was yeah pleasantly surprised. Yeah, well, that. and then whenever she calls him out, I was like, "Yeah, you tell him." But then right after that, she says. Well, women professionals do uh, tend to overcompensate. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, so, what does like, that even mean? This is also a meta moment, right? Where you're like, Gene Roddenberry 100% wrote that line. And, <laughs> and was like, I- I'm being so, like, look at me writing this woman character that acknowledges. <laughs> like, that it's like, <laughs> I'm so woke uh, right now. Exactly. But... I know. It's so cool. <laughs> 
But like, what is seriously? What does that mean? Like, women overcompensate. Like, I I, I actually legitimately don't really know what that means. Like, yeah, I overcompensate didn't, I, for what? Like, yeah. Well, I wonder if they were talking about being like, especially women being especially non-sexual in a work environment because mm-hmm. they're, to counteract all the sexualization that's happening. Yeah, like you have to be male. really mean and frosty because yeah, or like otherwise people are going to think you're girly. Yeah. Exactly. Or, yeah. yeah, it's so stupid. Like it's it is stupid because <laughs> basically what it's doing is it's equating like standoffishness with professionalism, which I just think that's such a false equation. Like I I love Next Generation because the women in Next Generation are not that. Like they're all different things. You know, Doctor mm-hmm. Crusher is sort of like facts and science, but then there's like. You know Tasha Yar, who's like really passionate and emotional. Like oh she's yes, kind of a Tasha hothead. Yar. She's kind of a hothead, and she's like the head of old security. Tasha, I call her. Yeah, old Tash. And then I don't know. Who, um, I don't know who you're talking. I don't know any of these people. Okay, well, she was the one in <laughs> Next Generation who was <laughs> so funny. I just was going along with it. Um, she's the the blonde one with like the kind uh, of the bowl blonde cut. one. You know, the bowl cut in Next oh, Generation who was like the wait, head of security. Security officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. I do actually know who that is. Yeah, so she's, like, super emotional, but also, like, a badass and, like, yeah. And then there's Crusher, who's, like, facts and science. She's the redhead. Um, And then there's Troy. And then there's Yeah, yeah, Wesley's mom. And then there's Troy, who's, like, the, um, like, empath, basically. You know, she's, like, um, she's got, like, the long black hair. Uh, Yeah. And she's the one in the really, lots of cleavage on the bridge. Okay. Um, But she's, like, super warm and sensitive and, like you know, sort of a stereotypically feminine character. Right. But she's also an officer on the bridge and t- totally in control of the situation. And uh-huh. so I love that about Next Generation because there's like different kinds of women. You have Guinan, you know, like you have different representations. Guinan, of course. Do you know who I'm talking no, about? Okay, Wh- Whoopi Goldberg, man. Oh, snap. Yeah. So there's just like different kinds of women in Next Generation and they're all like interesting and kind of represent different sides of what it is to be female. So yeah, I, I really like that. But um, so this line about like professional, like women professionals have to overcompensate is just like, I think it's so silly now, but I guess at the time, like people were still like, I guess even trying to envision what a woman on a starship would have been because it right. like, was such a far-fetched idea Right. Women I mean, just the women's job is to like make you coffee and babies. So like, well, I mean, even you know, a woman doctor, I think in the '60s would have been a somewhat radical idea. Right. Right. Yeah. They, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just insane. In general, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I'm sure there were obviously you know, tons of women doctors, but at least in like, like yeah, I, 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 it's like that common the riddle or whatever, which I always mm. is so funny. The how can I can't operate on this boy? He's my son, and it's like mm-hmm. the whole twist quote unquote mm-hmm. of the riddle is that there's a woman doctor yeah like i heard that riddle when i was a kid in the 1990s and it <laughs> totally stumped me you know <laughs> like, like so i think i think we yeah we have a long ways to go uh so i guess at least you can say that there are women doctors in this in this yeah, there, there's incredibly a, she's a psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing about Star Trek is like they're really trying, like they're <laughs> super trying, and they don't get there. But I love them for trying. Um, so yeah, so we have like Elizabeth and and Mitchell and stuff, and uh, and then like you know I thought the effects were pretty cool for 
you know, like the sparkly eyes and the. Oh yeah, you know, I wondered how they did that. I mean, it must have been. They a put tin foil. They use no, like tin foil and contacts. Yeah, which sounds okay, but incredibly see, here's painful. The thing. At one point, they f- it fades out when he kind of loses his power a little bit. He runs into the force field in the in the kind of in the prison area on mm-hmm. the planet. You know what I'm talking about? And then he's slumps in the corner, and then his eyes go back to normal. The yeah. way they did that was, I thought, pretty cool. I mean, they, very they, cool. Know, the yeah. effect it faded back to his it normal. Faded eyes. normal. Yeah, and it made me question for a second if it was contact or if they had done something, some sort of trick. But no, I don't. Was, I don't honestly know how they pulled off that particular effect, but I know that it was tinfoil on contacts. Yeah, I mean, I assume um, they would have had they shot it with the contact and one without, and then they did some sort of fade between those two. Yeah, footage. some kind. Yeah, that's, it, that's what it, it, is. it is. I guess the same way they do the transporter effect or whatever. Right. Yeah, they're yeah. there and then they're not there. Right. Yeah, but yeah, was, for sixties um, TV, that was pretty cool and very like creative. You know what I mean? Because you don't you have what, a lot of like money to work with for these kind of effects, and you don't have a lot of tech to work with, so you got to get creative like that. Well, you were talking about kind of the imagination required for the original series because of the kind of the limitations of one thing that I saw in this episode. Again, I haven't watched a lot of Star Trek, but I saw something which I have not seen a lot in Star Trek, which is a pretty large, like landscape scene where Mm -hmm. it was painted kind of it was like the refinery Mm -hmm. or whatever it is and all the bubbly kind of architecture and structures and it was like beautiful it was really Mm -hmm. cool and i Mm -hmm. and i really appreciated that it's like the first time you we really get a sense of what this planet is like because of course all the other scenes are so tight it's so Mm -hmm. it's one little sound stage and you know rocks and it's like all planets could kind of be the same could be that right you know what i mean so to be able to, I, that that was like my my favorite shot in the whole episode is when yeah. they kind of walk out and they see the yeah the, the landscape clouds it's Eden the, basically yeah, yeah yeah it was very cool it's very cool yeah <laughs> I thought did you catch the um the poem my love has wings that he was like reading <laughs> right. To- Oh, it was like supposedly one of the most passionate love sonnets of the past couple of centuries. Written Fun. in 1996 or 98 or whatever. Well, written in, in 60 something, but actually well, no, written... he, says, he says a, oh, a yeah, sonnet yeah. from 1996 right, or right, something. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, but actually, sure actually it was written by Roddenberry. <laughs> of course. Of course it was. Yeah. When he was a, a young pilot um, and he wrote it as a love letter to an airplane. Um, <laughs> I love has wings because I love a plane. Yeah, but it was uh, which kind of makes sense when you think about all the episodes where Kirk like refers to the ship as a lady and he gets like <laughs> sort of weird about it, and yeah. you're like, oh, okay, this is Roddenberry. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was retitled Nightingale Woman um, for the show, <laughs> <laughs> and he snuck it into the script. Um, that is so, so funny. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, yeah, they also. Oh yeah, and in the they, future, refers, that I'm writing. Yeah, I'm a I'm one of the most celebrated poets of my time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of awesome. Um, I, I also love that like Gary calls her the good looking lady doctor here. Um, oh, yeah, she's a lady doctor. She does her doctoring with a parasol with pus leaves. That's right, a lady, a pink pair. Oh uh, yeah, exactly, a pink stethoscope. <laughs> pink stethoscope. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's lots of fun stuff there in that scene. Um. But yeah, I also like Spock's giant gun. Did you? Oh yeah, hell yeah! <laughs> oh that—that's one of the funniest things too. He almost looks—he looks so sheepish almost when he comes around the corner, <laughs> and it's like, oh, did Spock get that giant gun that he has? And, and Kirk's like, what giant? And then he turns around, and Spock's just like holding this. <laughs> 
I love that. Like that also seems very uncharacteristically Spock, you know, in a yeah. way to just be like, <laughs> yeah, like, it didn't know. Give me a well, big, big gun. I got. Well, this, this is before the Vulcan death, or the Vulcan nerve pinch, so they hadn't like established that yet. But like, yeah. they hadn't really established his character yet. But yeah. um, yeah, it's really funny. Like Scotty's like, "Hey, did you get those laser rifles I beamed down?" And so Kirk's funny, like, yeah. "What? We didn't order any." And then Spock <laughs> <laughs> like, I laughed out loud. I didn't. I don't know if like if they were trying to make that a comedic like beat, but the yeah. timing was perfect. So it was so funny. And Spock's like, "Oh, well, I guess we have a giant gun now." And that's uh, yeah, that's how we're dealing with this situation. I know. Which and you like, know, shout out to Spock because that's exactly what I would do. I'd be like, "We're in the future, right? Give me a future gun because I got to." <laughs> god i'm not gonna fucking talk to this guy who can you know like it's and i want to point out something too of what i considered a pretty huge plot point right mm-hmm. so as he's the, he's getting his powers what's his name mitchell mm-hmm. he's getting his powers and one of the first ways that we learn and they discuss this in detail in a meeting they have a briefing about this guy <laughs> is that he can control switches yes and they they, I don't know if they say switches specifically, but they say no, like yeah. levers and yeah. th- or something. Because well, he's controlling his own like like his readings on the right. Um, no, no, but but then yeah. Scotty talks about how he was moving levers around in the engineering bay mm-hmm. <laughs> and and smiling and laughing about, it, which is really funny. Um, like on the on the screen, we saw him smiling every time he did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but so okay, so so we establish that's like we don't know exactly what he can do. What we do know for sure he can do is move switches in other parts, like in places where he isn't with his mind. Right. Sure. Then we get down to the planet where we're going to maroon him. And the first thing that Kirk orders is for (laughs) the engineer to wire a switch that can destroy the whole valley. Yeah. Like, to me, it's like, okay, did we all just forget (laughs) <laughs> the only thing he's really well, proven that he can do is affect switches. Well, I think that's like the nuclear option. It's like if he gets too powerful, they're just going to blow everything up, you know, with him with it or whatever. No, but it's um, like, I don't know. It's like, it's like I'm developing into a god. And the one thing I've shown to be able to do <laughs> is I can move water around in a glass with my mind. It's like, okay, we're going to maroon him on this island. And by the way, did you order that giant amount of water that I ordered? <laughs> that aquarium? <laughs> it's like exactly. The one yeah. thing he knows, we, we're sure that he can move switches. Well, we and know like, that. And he so kills let's the guy. wire a switch that can kill everybody. Well, and he kills the guy that's like safeguarding the switch with like a wire that wraps I know, around that was also, I was sure that switch was going to come up. It didn't, it in no way factored into anything. <laughs> That was almost so funny. Like I was like, is he? Is his body gonna fall down and bump the switch? Like, yeah. Why did we need to know that that switch was made? Why did uh, you know? I just upped the stakes. It just made it all a little more tense. Yeah. Um, but I don't know why he didn't just like make his heart stop. Like, isn't a heart just another object? Can he just his like- power? His powers are very poorly defined. Explained. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, he can make matter out of nothing, living yeah. organic matter, but. He can, but then he gets punched in the face. Yeah. Well, and, and Gary's okay. Gary's kind of a dick, like which we've established. But well, like, I thought he was Mitchell. Gary, he's Gary Mitchell. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> he has two first names. Um, so two first Wait, names. Gary Mitchell is someone too. Is it Gary Mitchell? Uh, I I don't know, but no, he's Gary. No, he's two first names. Gary Mitchell, and okay, he's kind of a dick. Yeah, yeah. And but also like, it's sort of 
shitty that like all of his friends immediately turn on him the minute oh, he's yeah. really smart. Like, well, I mean, to be fair, he did ru- like try to ruin Kirk's life. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> blonde technician so maybe kirk was not feeling the kind of love towards him anymore (laughs) well and maybe that also sort of like establishes that he was sort of into like messing with people's lives and like playing god a little bit before he became a god you know yeah like he was kind of playing god with kirk's life in a way um i mean for sure sure i i would i hesitate to give them that much credit (laughs) but (laughs) but that would be interesting if that was yeah i mean maybe i mean that's yeah, exactly. He's playing God with Kirk's life. He's demonstrated that he can do he at the very least it confirms that he's capable of unethical actions. Right? Sure. Sure. And and yeah. Yeah. And then he gets these amazing powers. But also like I mean, hey, there's a bunch of people that are friends of mine that like we can kick it, but yeah, you know, if they ever were in, imbued with godlike powers, I would know immediately to kill them. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, hell, I would hope that someone would kill me. Like the amount of times that I've like made <laughs> obvious mistakes that speak to my like obvious character flaws. <laughs> like, I think a lot of good, good friends of mine would be like, oh shit, George got Wait, we God gotta, powers. We gotta kill we that gotta guy. take him out. I'm so sorry, buddy. <laughs> Remember no, that night where you I did don't that think thing? So. <laughs> I think if you had godlike powers, just like, I don't, I don't even know what you would do, but I don't think you would be dangerous. I think you would just like, I don't know. Everybody would suddenly know how to skateboard. Like, I don't know. I think I would do some stupid <laughs> shit, whatever it was, for good or for worse. It would just be dumb. Yeah, it would. It would definitely be dumb, but I don't think it'd be. Yeah. Stupid. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it'd be stupid. No, it'd be fucking stupid. It'd be really dumb. You're an idiot for sure. But. I like the idea that, like, even as a god, someone's stupid. Like a stupid god yeah, is a yeah. very funny idea. Yeah. Like, you like create an animal that just that, like makes no sense and like oh i forgot to give it a mouth <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly it's like yeah this god is kind of dumb yeah well they sort of so star trek explores like the you know fallible human with godlike powers thing a bunch there's another yeah. episode called charlie x right before this which you know is the premise is what if there's this angsty teenager who could just kill everybody with psychic powers and stuff yeah. so it's very similar and in Next Generation, they have this character called the Q. I don't know if you know about the Q. Oh, I've heard about this guy. He's basically just trolling Picard over and over yeah. again, right? Yeah. Yes, and he's but he's basically God. Like he's omnipresent. He's omnis- omnipotent. Um, like he's you know it's and it basically was Roddenberry going because Roddenberry was an atheist, so he was saying like, well, what if there is a God? Like, what is there to say that he's actually benevolent? Like, what is there to say that he's that he cares about us at all like he you know, might not he might just be a dick like it's it's funny because the the episode the one i was referring to that we watched when i was on shrooms it's it's all about the sort of the greek gods and it's like explain what's what's so silly about it is it's like oh this is a scientific explanation for the greek gods that are mentioned in the, yeah, yeah they were aliens from a planet but mm-hmm. they do a really weird thing too in this episode where they unless i misinterpreted it they kind of they kind of like introduce this idea that God or God-like beings are mm-hmm. just humans at a much further stage of our evolution. Right. right? Cause they say, they say like the fact that we have ESP, they point to, they're like, well, ESP is like eventually humans would evolve to use that ESP to, to be God-like and have God-like mm-hmm. power, which mm-hmm. is already so silly, but it's like, it's really mm-hmm. funny cause it's such a weird way to think about like, 
um, uh, you know, super powered people. That's like, I guess mm-hmm. it, in some ways it almost like it's a, I wonder if he was reading X-Men comics or something. Cause it's mm. the same idea, right? Like you, if you give humans enough time, they will eventually somehow right. <laughs> gain superpowers of some sort, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and become, you know, and she says, and then, like, that's a central plot point is like, well, he skipped those steps. Mm-hmm. He got the powers, but he didn't do the other evolving. The evolution, right? Yeah. 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 It's so weird. I It's, it's kind of it's a mixed odd. metaphor too, because they're sort of God, but they're also sort of Adam and Eve, you know, like yeah, they're like the first of this that, new yeah. race of superhumans, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's sort of interesting. Um, but I think like, here's another question. Like what if it hadn't been Mitchell that got powers first? Like what if it was Elizabeth, you know? Yeah. Do you think she would make like a, a better God? Like she probably would be pretty decent. I mean, she's a doctor. Her whole personality is geared toward helping people. I don't know. Cause she took some pretty big risks on the enterprise with the other human lives aboard. I mean, she was like, no, like let him keep going. See how far he can go. I mean, she does say that, like, her intention is, like, how much he could help humanity with his powers or whatever. Right, right. I think she also kind of has a little bit of a, like, her curiosity in some ways gets the better of her judgment as far as, like, the the specific, like, safety of the people on board, you know? That's true. Which is kind of what Spock is arguing, like, Mm -hmm. Spock is not curious about what happens to a person who's already powerful getting more powerful. Spock's like, kill that Um And I got the I got just the gun I got to do just it. The gun. <laughs> exactly. Here, my gun. <laughs> um, no, but yes, yeah, so that's an interesting question. I mean, one thing I think that they were saying is that my interpretation is that because she was not as powerful, the power had not literally like turned her as insane. So like yet, I, but I, it was like, but the the um, it was in you know it was um, inferring that like you know it would eventually. Right, like, and the ship's records, right, from the, which we haven't even mentioned, that the whole reason Yes, that, so cool. Did you pause to, like, read? No, I didn't novel? pause to read, <laughs> nerd. <laughs> well, they're really funny. Um, like, it's kind of a fun Easter egg. So, like, you know, when Spock's looking at Gary and Elizabeth's ESP files, um, uh-huh. Elizabeth has this high level of ESP, and Gary has, like, this very high level and Elizabeth is interested in ESP as relates to her studies in psychology. Uh-huh. Gary has communicated telepathically with aliens on Denim 4. What? Yes. Like already? Already. Um, maybe because they do that there. I don't know. That's and funny. then he also has like high ESP occurrence in his ancestry. And this was like my favorite little Easter egg. It said it went back six generations, included a female ancestor who was interested in spiritual readings. Wow. Wild. Which is really fun. Like, I, I just like that idea that there's, like, humans in the future who have a little bit of ESP. Like, I just think that's super badass. Like, even if it's just reading the backs of playing cards, like, it still so would be what, crazy useful. One thing, so this reminded me, actually, of one of the few episodes of Next Generation that I have seen, which I don't remember what it's called. But it's basically, like, a similar plot. They go through an energy field, and then suddenly there's an alien force that's possessing various members of the crew and making them do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally also, and, and I wonder if that's actually a callback and homage to this episode because it's the same thing. They go through the force field because they're investigating a distress call of a ship from like, I think centuries before, mm-hmm. um, that had basically the same thing happened. Like something caused this, ship, which I know this is probably a common plot point, but you know, mm-hmm. something caused this ship to explode or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. And all they can find is like garbled messages referring to some sort of other power or thing that, you know, and then it turns out that it's this alien force that's possessing members of the crew. And then it's just trying to survive or whatever. So one thing that they don't do, though, is they don't ever talk about what the God power is. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Is is it just a manifestation? Uh, is it a sentient kind of manifestation of the barrier itself? You know, mm-hmm. and like, so I don't know. Is that the one where like it goes into Picard and yeah, like, yeah. yeah well it goes into a couple people. It goes into Crusher mm-hmm. and and yeah, so anyway. Yeah. And the only way yes. you could tell that they have it is if you knew that person really well and they did And then Worf. It's like Crusher and Worf and then Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So this is the one uh called Lonely Among Us. And okay. uh I just Googled and it is the seventh episode. Um so it's in the first series of uh-huh. next generation yeah yeah and they don't really ever spell it out it's he um basically picard and the entity like become one and then uh-huh. picard wants to like um transport you know back to this cloud or whatever uh-huh. um and they can't like keep him from beaming off the ship or whatever and so eventually they're just like well i guess he's gone because we have to leave but then, right. like, Troy senses him nearby and, like, Picard signals the crew through the computers. And then they reverse right. the transport. And so then they kind of, like, reconstitute him or whatever. Stan's crazy, you know, beam of energy entity thing. Wait, now. Um, sorry. Quick aside. Yeah. Is there an episode of Next Generation called Where No Man Has Gone Before? No. No. This is. So, and it's interesting. Are you Sure. Because sure. it looks yeah, like there is. Where no man has gone before. Next. What? I know. <gasps> I know. We I totally missed this corrected. one. I stand and, corrected. Whoa. I just, and you like, know what? For some it's reason, the, I didn't know that. And, here's and the I thing. don't know why I didn't know that. And neither did I. But it's the episode that comes right before. Before that one. Among Among us. The one that. Totally. So there's got to be a connection there. We probably should. Yeah. (laughs) I definitely. I totally missed this. Me too. Um, Okay. So this is the one with the traveler. Yeah. I don't know this one. Well, this is a great episode. Um, Basically, like there's this guy that shows up who's like an expert in warp drives and stuff. Oh, and, I remember this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And he's, and everybody, he's just like totally snotty to everybody. Yeah, and but then, he uses his power to get him like much farther. Or yeah, so they think, but really it's like his second in command, this guy called the traveler, who's really right, the right, one right. that like has these powers and stuff. Yes. And then this is the one where we established that Wesley is like Wesley boy genius. You know? Right, right. Where he's like, um, but I totally forgot that this was called where no one it's called where no one has gone before uh-huh yeah not where You're no right, man so. because they changed that um they actually changed that line in the like opening montage thing um so in the original series it's you know to boldly go where no man has gone before and then uh-huh. next generation they changed it to where no one has gone before oh yeah so you know so they're probably just like establishing that i guess but it's sort could, of an interesting but it's such a coincidence that that should come right before the episode that then i feel like is very much thematically borrowing from this one yeah it is interesting um and they did definitely like intentionally carry on themes and stuff from the original series. right i know they did tons of callbacks and stuff for yeah sure. for sure Plus, but, of course the same dude wrote it so so this title of this episode comes from that voiceover obviously right um and here's the here's the entire thing Space, the final frontier, 
These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before, and then later to boldly go where no one has gone before. So, but they, you know, Star Trek sort of borrowed this from, like, earlier variants of this. Um, So, like, there's a White House booklet published in 1958 um, talking about outer space Right. And it said, you know, it's a curiosity that leads <laughs> men to try to go where no one has gone before. So they sort of like, it was a thing that they sort of borrowed from other things. They borrowed it. There's also like a James Cook quote, you know. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's some other things that are like similar. Um, there's an H.P. Lovecraft novella um, that has a similar phrase. But really, um, the phrase was first introduced to Star Trek by Samuel peoples um who was the writer and he was basically a guy who wrote like western novels but he branched out into tv work and he suggested that this be the title of the episode and from there it was developed into the opening sequence so yeah so because remember this was the pilot so this episode actually came before the sequence right i mean it's so well, I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of people describe the kind of the similarities between Star Trek and like Western themes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're basically doing, you know, 24th or whatever century manifest destiny, right? They're well, like, it was it was kind of advertised to the network executives as being like wagon train to the stars or something, right? Yeah, like, yeah, totally. Which is not what it ended up being, but but yeah, they did kind of want to bring in a lot of those cowboy elements and like that fight scene at the end of this episode where they're like wrestling you know and he's Kirk's like beating up a god which is so silly but um, I know I know but that scene but, and he also gets a ripped shirt and all that and but that that's the scene that actually sold them on Star Trek on, on the show you know yeah. I was I was about to say I think as much as people love to make fun of Shatner and I have not watched the other pilot but you know he he is like the most compelling actor in this episode I mean he he his, you know, expressions and his whatever. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's we're all used to it now, but you can totally see how somebody seeing him for the first time in that role would be like, okay, 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 I like this guy. Okay, oh, he's mm-hmm. punching somebody, his shirt's mm-hmm. getting ripped. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely like, I mean, we, I give him a lot of crap. Um, and he's definitely not my and favorite he's earned, captain. And he's, he's earned, earned a lot of crap. Yeah. But he's, but I will give it to him. Like, he is very entertaining to watch on screen. Like yeah, he's no, he really is. Speaking of, there's you really should be watching Lower Decks on CBS because it's really funny and <laughs> it's especially if I mean Sarah will love it because there's okay. so many like fun Easter eggs and stuff and like one of the jokes on the on that show is there's this character who's like really funny and kind of totally with it and cool and like um, Ensign Mariner and she has like a thing for like a commanding officer. <laughs> secret thing for him even though he's just like a big dumb meathead you know but like (laughs) but she's like kind of into it and she's like (laughs) embarrassed by how she's kind of into it you know it's really well and i think i think (laughs) i think william shatner as a sex symbol in this role in particular is yeah is it must have been very confusing in some ways for like (laughs) that little nerdy boy or girl who is being beaten up at yes, school by, by people like that guy. But then, <laughs> but then in this show, he's like the cool, he's like the smart and thoughtful captain who's doing all, you know, it's like, well, in the and I, like I that must that have been. <laughs> it only works just going back to the Holy Trinity of like McCoy, Spock and, and Kirk. Like right. 
it only works because of McCoy and because of Spock. Like right. McCoy's there to kind of like give him some smart ass like response of like, oh yeah, cowboy, blah, blah, you know? And then uh, Spock is there to just be like hyper logical and, you know, the voice of reason who's right. just like, so no, they I both, thought, they're kind of counterweights. And I also like the scientists are always kind of the heroes sure. in Star but, Trek, but, even I mean, though he's the thought, captain. I actually thought that they did a really good job of that with the movies. I thought that mm-hmm. the kind of Chris Pine his yeah, character I thought like, he was great. I thought he was more obviously helpless without his 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 buds. Do you know what I right, mean? Like right. um more clearly like incapable of doing it on his own. Um, yeah, I mean it, I really like that, you know, as like a premise for a show that like you have this action hero but really he He's not the one who saves the day. Like it's right. it's, it's usually it's the idea Spock. of a team. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, like he's not. Yeah, exactly. Like he needs. If you have a basketball team and you have the guy that can shoot really, really well, that's great. But if they have somebody on the other team that can block his shot, then suddenly your whole game plan falls exactly. apart. Like you, you know what I mean? You need multiple people to make yeah. the team work. Yeah, and you need you know you need security officers, you need science officers, you need a doctor. Like everybody has their roles and stuff. And it's a little Marxist, but, you know. It's, it's a little. Yeah. Pretty, pretty typical too. I think of this period, right in the '60s. Of yeah, yeah. It's it's what would the future look like? Well, there would be we'd all be working together. It's a really hopeful, beautiful vision, really. You know, except for women. <laughs> well, they try. They try. You know, I mean, and, and they, and, you know, there was fair, one black like person to, in this episode. That's, I was gonna say, there's a yeah. black man on the bridge. Yeah. In this episode, of course, he immediately leaves. Well, but you know, it's not given a speaking line, but, but but yeah, but for the sixties in television, that was very radical. No, I know. Um, I wrote it down. I mean, I was yeah. like, there's black people in space. You don't see in that in other, That's... like there are no other shows on TV. I mean, that not to shout like... out again, not to shout out star Wars, but Lando Calrissian famous as the only happen... black, black person in the galaxy. Yes. And that didn't happen until the seventies. And he was kind of a morally neutral character who wasn't really good or bad. So he wasn't oh, totally he, a hero. I don't think he was morally neutral at all. He's, he's a villain. I mean, yeah. Really, I, I mean, mean, in the original. Yeah. yeah so yeah. like, I think it's, it's really interesting because like this was in the sixties and there was nothing else on TV that was even attempting to like realize right. that vision. <laughs> You know what I mean? Sure. So it, it's a positive portrayal of like a female black officer on, you know, the bridge of a starship, which was mm-hmm. revolutionary. And it really kind of like helped spur along a lot of like social change. So, um, and even like Whoopi Goldberg, who eventually played Guinan in Next Generation, like she's a huge Star Trek fan and she got into Star Trek because she was a little girl growing up and watching Michelle Nichols play an officer in a starship, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, you can't really kind of, you can't under, like, I guess you, you can't, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, you can't, um, um, you can't overemphasize, like, the importance of representation on television mm. in the 60s. Like, this was the, this was, everybody watched TV, and TV was the thing. And like, right. this and was I mean, a real way know, that social change happened. Yeah. And in this episode, right, the hero of the episode is a woman. Yeah. I mean, she saves yeah. everybody. She's the savior right. of, of everybody. She's the Christ yeah. figure in this particular. You totally. Know, she sacrifices herself for that. Yeah. Totally. I mean, yeah. So. So it's not all that. I mean, it's definitely like, there are definitely things that are, I, I go, yeah, that's ridiculous. But I always can kind of see this thread through all of Star Trek of them sort of reaching for something that's better, you know? 
And yeah. that's, that's really like at the heart of why I love Star Trek so much. It's not dystopian. Like it's not dark. It's always like, it's always progressing and evolving and it, cause it believe it believes like at the core that that's what humanity is doing. Uh-huh. And so it, it does that as a show, which is really cool. Yeah. And I, I think one thing I did appreciate is like right here in the beginning in the pilot, we have a serious ethical dilemma, right? Yeah. Um, and it talks about kind of, you know, pa- this idea of power, but also authority, right? Mm-hmm. Ca- you know, Kirk is the captain of the ship. His friend has all this power, but none of the kind of the guiding principles. Like it's basically an allegory for kind of this idea of unchecked unchecked power, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, you've got you've got Kirk who is able to sort of, and I know he doesn't literally save the day, but he at least he's, he's, he's trying to put in, he's trying to save the day with his plan to maroon this, this God. Right. And he's doing so because he is demonstrating that he's a wise, responsible leader. He's looking out Mm -hmm. for the other people, even though it's his friend and Mm -hmm. this and that. Um, And then likewise, you know, you've, you've, the other end of that coin is you've got the person who has all the power in the world to make every, to make a utopia, right. To make a beautiful, Mm -hmm peaceful planet but instead is clearly going to use it to destroy everything yeah um so yeah i mean and and it ends a little a little anticlimactically right like Mm -hmm. a rock falls on him Mm -hmm. i don't know i for sure i think it was i I did like the tombstone thing though i thought that was cool oh well we didn't even talk about james r kirk yeah and uh his middle name was later established to be tiberius yeah um so it's the wrong initial nobody knows why uh-huh. We don't know what it stands for. Maybe rewrite. <laughs> well, so in but, in the uh, in the side by side comparison video on YouTube, they're interviewing the CGI effects artists, and they talk about this, and they say that there was a debate uh-huh. about whether or not to retroactively change it to edit the footage mm-hmm. to be James T. Kirk, mm-hmm. and in the end, they didn't do it. In part, I think because it was in a bunch of shots, and it would yeah. take it would have just been. Like it would have been a lot of time and effort and money mm-hmm. to do it, but mm-hmm. then also what they what they said is that uh, that it it implied like the canon is that this guy Mitchell is doesn't actually know Kirk well enough mm. to know his middle name, or mm-hmm. he's so crazy at that point that he is like forgotten Kirk's middle. Yeah, name. I thought about that too. In in a way, it's kind of like you could say, yeah, he didn't really fully know what Kirk was capable of. Exactly. You know? they, yeah, which which works. Also yeah, why Kirk willing to maroon him like maybe he didn't know him that well yeah know? exactly exactly so. yeah totally yeah. um and i like that at the end kirk like gives them both um you know commendation or whatever which again i think if anything he should have given it to the doctor only and been like this other guy was crazy from day one <laughs> and, <laughs> like, i mean it, but he was a know. victim in a lot of ways like he didn't choose was he? you know yeah, I mean, he didn't choose to get godlike powers. Like that wasn't a thing that he asked for. Like I mean, he chose to cheat his way <laughs> onto the starship <laughs> in the first place. That's by true. with another person's <laughs> life. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I I will say I don't think he's a hero, but I do think he's in some ways a victim. I mean, is he my personal hero? Yes, of course. <laughs> Which he, brings us to is it, your is he, how I hope to die. Yes, it is. <laughs> but, but is he a hero in this episode? Yes, I think he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
<laughs> which which segues nicely into your song choice for oh my this episode. Gosh. Classic. I wish I could play it, but you'll get in trouble, I think, for Yeah, I'd rather not like have to maybe deal I'll, with the copyright maybe I'll sort stuff. Of mumble the tune and not use it for the lyrics. <laughs> okay. It's a uh, you know I, this is why I used to uh, when I was had a couple of couple of uh, a couple of Dr Peppers out at the out at the bars. Um, I would uh, do karaoke with friends, and we would do this where we would like sing a really famous song for karaoke, but not sing any of the lyrics. Just multiply- <laughs> So we'd go up there and we'd just go like, like and you know that's intro to the song and the whole part is watching and it's like yes and just like it was sort of it's sort of like a it's like a creed voice and a little bit of like a pearl jammy kind of uh and a little bit of anthony Kiedis with the baba baba baby little noise in it yeah how about is that what about yeah i don't know it's fun very fun amazing to people got really mad <laughs> i wonder you know, why like to not to, to not say those shitty stupid lyrics well when you just desecrate people's favorite songs while they're drunk they usually love it i don't know what yeah. happened yeah it's weird <laughs> super weird <laughs> well um so yeah so your choice yeah, in summary by Immortal Foo Fighters. There goes my hero by the Immortal Foo Fighters. Fantastic. My hero. Is it? Yeah, but the chorus chorus is "There goes my hero." Watch him as he goes get gets a rock falling on him. Yeah, yeah, that checks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, my song choice was uh, "What if God was one of us." Yeah, you nailed it. Clearly, I'm bummed. You you got it. Yeah, you win win this round. I win this round by Joan Osborne, the immortal Joan Osborne. And uh, yeah, I think also you are required to pick a song from your own extensive catalog to add to our Spotify playlist. Which I have done and sent to you. Do you want me to say the name of it? Yes, please. The song is called Rock and Roll Song, and it's track two off of my record Dog is Goob, which I released (laughs) in April of this year. And it's by the band 100 Watt Horse, which is me right now. Fantastic. Um, do you want to, I don't know, plug anything? Is there any kind of like nonprofit you're super into right now or projects that you're working on that you want to give a shout out to? Yeah. So my first shout out is to mirror mirror recording, which is, um, a home studio and, but very professional studio run by my good friend, Graham Tavell, um, open right now for bookings. If people want to go and record the best record they've ever made, Graham is the best in Atlanta, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. But you know, he, he also does mixing work. If you want to send him tracks, he he's, he does that sort of stuff too. And he's just he is so so hugely um, influential in everything I've ever done. In as far as like published creative output, output you know, like all the records I've made are very much Graham as well as me. Um, cool. He's a super creative mixer and and producer, and is just yeah, he's awesome. Let me ask so, you this: Is the name of his studio derived from the Star Trek episode Mirror Mirror? You'd have to ask him, I think. Because it would make me like him a whole lot. Yeah, hey, there's the tie-in right there. There uh, it is. And then my other shout-out is for an organization in Nashville, Tennessee called Workers' Dignity. Um, Workers' Dignity, they are, 
let's see if I'm going to go onto their website so I don't, I don't mess up their mission statement. They mm-hmm. are a worker center organizing for economic justice and dignity for all. Uh, they're awesome. Give them your money. Okay. Workers Dignity in Nashville. And uh, where can we find 100 Watt Horse and George Christian Pettis on the interwebs? On the interwebs. <laughs> <laughs> but where yeah. specifically? Uh, Bandcamp, Spotify, iTunes, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Although mm-hmm. I should may, I should say that my the 100 Watt Horse Twitter is sort of devolved into me thinking and talking about the Atlanta Hawks basketball club. <laughs> That's fair. So there, you won't get a lot of music there, but you will get a lot of spicy hot takes. Cool. Um, and uh, yeah, so, and by the way, folks, that's 100 as in like the number 100. So type out a one and a zero and a zero, and then the words Watt Horse, and then you will find George on the yeah, boy. All right. That's all I got. Thanks so all much right. for, for coming on the show. Thanks, Grace. Cool. I'm giving you a noogie virtually. All right. I'm accepting it. This has been another edition of Troubadours on Trek. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever listening platform you use and head on over to patreon.com slash Grace Pettis to join the crew. This is your host, Grace Pettis, giving her all she's got, beaming out. See you next time. <laughs>